All right, how about take two? <laughs> Unbelievable. We are back after a month, month and a half, and the first thing right out of the gate, some technical problems, so we have to scrap it and do it all again. And I thought we were actually going pretty well there for a second. Yeah, and, and I just botched the uh, intro as well. I didn't hit record right away, so who cares? But whatever. Who cares? We're here. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we're here. I'm at my house. You're at your house. I have to watch the kids because it's summertime. Well, wife has a hair appointment, and I've been umpiring, and I've been doing a lot of high school baseball. You've been doing some fam time and staying busy as well and doing some golf. So we have missed probably a good four weeks worth of Wisconsin and Chicago sports. Mm -hmm. Um, But, again, we also haven't really been – in communication with a lot of this stuff other than just some real brief exchanges. There haven't, there hasn't been any long form discussion like we do on the podcast. So I'm, I guess I'm really curious to see um, your opinion on some of the stuff that's been, that's been going on lately. And, 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 and we have a fair amount to talk about. We certainly do a lot of stuff going on in Wisconsin sports. I mean, all three of the, the pro teams, the, the Badgers were the big, a big new hire. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff to get to. Um, I mean, we can we can just dive right in. Um, obviously, the the one thing that is dominating the whole the whole sports world because you know that the NFL is king. It's the Rogers drama on whether he's gonna show up. He missed all of OTAs. He's mad at. It seems to be directed more at Brian Gutekind than team president Mark Murphy. Even though Murphy kind of has the final say over everything. It seems since it's the GM's job to control the personnel and make the draft picks, I would say public enemy number one in his mind, in Roger's mind, is Goody. Yeah, I, it, it, it's weird. It, it seems like it, but we don't we don't know for sure. Every everything about this right this whole saga, it's all speculation and and rumor and innuendo. I mean, there's. You know, I know Murphy came out the other day with after I don't know if I can't remember if it was before or, or OTAs or started or after, but you know made his statement about the Rodgers thing and how they still want him back. But other than that, we haven't really heard much officially. No, he he wrote his column on the team's website. That, that was yeah, on that's Saturday. what it, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, and so you've got him saying that. You've got Goody, who's kind of been laying back, even though he gives the token. He's our quarterback for the foreseeable future, which, again, he said that before, and it really, that is not really a vote of confidence. And then you've got LaFleur, who seems to be like, uh, yeah, I want him leading my offense right now. Um, so I would really appreciate it if, if he would be here. So it. It just seems like Gudikins is kind of out there on an island all by himself where the team president is saying the right things and the coach is definitely speaking with a, a little bit more passion and the need for football while Goody is kind of looking at it just strictly from a, it's my job to build the team for the future and I don't live in the now and this is what I have planned. Well, and it's been so long since we've talked, like, you know, during our little sabbatical here, like we had the whole Rogers in Hawaii with yep. his with his fiance and Miles Teller and and his wife girlfriend whatever, 
and they're hanging out, doing karaoke, putting videos on social media. And then he gives the interview with Kenny Mayne. And, like, the whole the whole thing is very weird. I I don't really know. Rogers is the ultimate, you know, he, he, he thinks he's smarter than everybody, so he likes to play these games. And, and he's playing a game right yeah. now. And I'm, it's it's a little hard to decipher exactly what his end game is, but he's certainly got, you know, fifty percent or more of the Packer fans pissed off at him and saying, "Get the hell out of here! We don't need you," which is interesting. Well, Murphy wasn't wrong when he said in his column that this whole thing has definitely divided Packers fans, and I think it's probably even more divided than it was with the Favre and the Ted Thompson thing, however many years ago that was. But what I'm really getting tired of is a lot of these media outlets are now starting to drag out former Packers that are either not in touch with the team, have played with Rodgers for like five minutes, and they ask them their opinion of whether he's going to play and come back and what he's thinking. And, I I mean, it's like if you could – if if you could just find somebody on a team that didn't play with them, and it, to me that would hold just as much weight as some of these guys who maybe shared in a huddle with them for like three series or something during their entire careers. Yeah, wasn't it a, a week or two ago? Like uh, it was some obscure fullback. Was it like Craig Nall or I don't know somebody that had a cup oh, yeah. of coffee with the pack? I, it might not have been Nall, but it was Corey somebody Hall. Corey Hall. Yeah. I, I had to like go on football reference to find out even when he like wh- I'm like when was he on the Packers? Like I don't remember this dude, but yep. like what what yeah, why do I give a shit what this guy thinks? No, and I mean they had Brandon Jackson who, who yeah, was there yeah. for for you know a couple of I mean it's like I don't honestly I don't care about these guys' opinion. I think everybody really wants to hear from him and until they do, they don't really care what anybody else thinks. I mean, and it's also getting to the point where I'm not believing anything I hear from like guys like Bakhtiari or Devontae Adams or any of these guys that say that they're really close with him because I either want to hear from the quarterback and I want to hear from the general manager about talking either we're done and we're moving on or we're signing into an extension. That's Those are really the only things that I want to hear about right now. Well, sure. They're the only things that truly matter, you know, and, and I don't. I don't really see anything, any way Rogers speaks about this until one of those things happens. Either they say we're moving on, or they're going to do what he wants to do. Um, but you know, short of firing the general manager, which has seemed to be one of the one of his quote unquote demands, like what what are they what are they going to do to appease him? I don't. That's where I'm a little confused. Like, you know, a lot of people are still saying there's no way the Packers are going to trade Rodgers. Well, so is Rodgers really going to sit out? Are the Packers okay with him sitting out? Are they going to fine him? Are they just going to let him go away? Like, it's there's so many scenarios that could play out here. And, you know, they're going to – the mainstream media, ESPN, Fox Sports, they're going to beat this into the ground. And, I mean, they're talking about this as much as they're talking about the NBA playoffs right now. Right. But, I I mean, 
think about the precedent that it would set, and I'm not saying that this is going to happen because I think it would be absolutely ridiculous given how much um, life he has left on the football field. If, if your MVP quarterback says it's me or the general manager, what kind of position does that put the team president in? I mean, it, he's basically now the owner, and I, and I don't think the owner would have a problem firing a GM but I think a team president of a publicly owned uh, organization might be under a little bit more scrutiny because he has people to answer to as far as, um, you know, um, chairman and all that other stuff of, of, of the stockholders. I mean, the stockholders thing, that, that doesn't matter. But, I mean, there are people that Murphy has to answer to as well. And if you've got this showdown between your star player who's got a couple of years left or the general manager – who had t- took over for a guy that basically was grooming him for the job. How do you make that decision? And what decision do you make? Because either one has some serious ramifications. Right. The Rogers is short term. The Gutekunst is long term. Cause I'm sure the Packers brass Murphy and whoever else is in the, the pecking order up there. I'm sure they're looking at Gutekunst when they hired him, and like this, this is our guy. Hopefully, for the next fifteen, twenty years. I mean, you you would right. have you would have to look at hiring him almost like drafting a quarterback. Like this is the guy that's going to build our roster. He's what? He's like what? Four, mid to late forties. Like the next fifteen years, this is the guy. Yeah. So then, do you go to Rogers and say, okay, we are going to get rid of him, and then do you say that we're going to have you? Uh, help us pick our next general manager. I mean, I get that football players are divas, but some of this stuff that's now starting to happen is is a little bit dangerous for for a football team that does not have an owner and, you know, putting into kind of perspective of who exactly is calling the shot. Well, yeah, and where do you draw the line in the sand if you're the organization? Look, you wanted McCarthy gone. We fired him. Right. Now you want the general manager gone? Okay, let's say we fire him. Well then not then what? Next year you're going to want Murphy gone? I mean like where where's the where's the line in the sand here from an organizational perspective? How much are you going to allow one guy to dictate the the present and future of your franchise? I mean, look, I've gone back and forth on this in my own head. Would I get rid of him? Would I try to keep him? And, you know, people will say that I'm going to say this because I'm a Bear fan, but that has nothing to do with it. Right. I'd get rid of him. If he doesn't want to be there, and this is going to be, even if he comes back, this is not going away. Even if he comes back and plays this year and everybody acts like it's hunky-dory, this ain't going away unless they sign him to a, Freaking seven-year extension till he's forty-five or something, but I don't see that happening because the Packers, as an organization, just that's never been their mo. So I, you know, every day he doesn't show up what for do something, think... his his value goes down. Right. What do you think of what he said with Kenny Mayne about that the Packers with the front office? It's kind of now turned into an organization where. Uh, they don't value players um, as much as they used to and just treat them more just like, you know, chess pieces and stuff where they're trying to trying to build the board and, um, you know, get the best possible 
scenario and situation and and then an outcome where it it it, do, it doesn't really matter that that loyalty isn't a thing anymore. I'd say it's a good thing you're not a baseball player because that's <laughs> that's really where sports is going. I mean, even in the NBA, like you look at a lot of these guys, it doesn't really matter who the guy is. It's about the 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 statistical production that you can give the team. You know, so yeah, do organizations now, especially in football, I mean, not even now, but they always have, they look at a guy more as like an employee number as a rather than a, a person? Yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty much how most companies in America operate. I don't know that that's necessarily unique to football. I mean, I don't know, like, what do you want, Aaron? Like, you know, do you want Gudikins to bring milk and cookies right. down to the quarterback room every day? Like... <laughs> like what you know what I'm saying? Like what are you what are you looking for? I guess would be my question. Well, and and you and I have brought it up before about the Packers organization. That really doesn't seem like it's anything new with that sort of organization. This that, that to me when he said that it there there wasn't some giant revelation where I'm like, oh yeah, maybe he's got a point or maybe he's right. I was more like, have you been paying attention? Like this is that's basically been the mo in Green Bay. They try to resign guys that they can. They will let guys go on the market even if they've been there long term and they're still really good, but they don't want to, you know, totally blow their cap space by signing some. And they're always looking to the future. I mean, this has not been a mystery for the last couple of decades since uh, Thompson really took over as general manager. I I, I don't. I, I I don't really know what what television show he's been watching. Right. I mean, they're they're an old school football organization. Like they don't they don't want Antonio Browns or you know that kind of a distraction around their franchise because that's not football. The Packers only care about football. I mean, it's their gift and their curse. You know, it's one of the reasons why they've been so successful over the last 30 years is because they are just a football organization. But at the same time, it's cursed them a little bit because they haven't been willing to maybe step outside that box in certain situations to go get a Randy Moss or, or whoever, you know, and, and, and try to try to do something immediately. So, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, you know, and then Bakhtiari and, and, and Adams are quoted now as saying they've got Rodgers' back. What does that mean? Do you not have Jordan Love's back? And it's weird because like what what does that mean? I, right. I I get that like I get that of everybody on that roster, those two guys and Rodgers, yep. at least offensively, they're the guys. So yeah, they mm-hmm. definitely want Aaron Rodgers there, of course. But I I don't know. I just those kind of statements are always interesting, and and I you know you're not hearing anything out of Zadarius Smith. Or or Jair Alexander, you know, are they like fuck Aaron Rodgers? Let's just go with love. We don't care. Like, wh- what's the dynamic in that locker room? And if he comes back and walks into that locker room, are half of them going, man? Yeah, you're good, but fuck you. You know, we don't need this. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, the Bakhtiari and the, and the Adams thing. I mean, I know it seems like Bakhtiari is his boy more than anybody, even maybe in front of Adams. But mm-hmm. hey, he just signed a, a deal that he's 
the highest paid left tackle in football. And he's coming back from his ACL injury. He's got to focus on that. Maybe he doesn't have time to do that. And I think probably to him, yeah, it is a little bit more business at this point. Adams right now, though, if I'm Devontae Adams, I might be a little bit pissed because this could affect him going forward because he's a free agent. Mm -hmm. Is it? Let's just say the Packers don't re-sign him and he draws too much. Is he going to have a down season getting balls from Blake Bortles or Jordan Love? Or would he rather have Aaron Rodgers making him put up monster numbers to drive up his value so he can get paid either by Green Bay or by somebody else? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big deal for Devontae Adams on who is going to be throwing you passes this year. Oh, no question. And, and you know, if it ends up being Jordan Love and he's not good and the Packers are like, well, right. we still think we need a number one receiver for him, so we're just going to tag you for a year. Now, now you're stuck playing with him again. You know, yeah, that's there's some there's some big repercussions for Adams. You're right, no question. Uh, the Jordan Love reports from camp. It's so weird how this stuff goes up and goes down peaks and valleys because there was a really good report today on how he really completed some deep balls very very well. Whereas the first mini camp day on Tuesday. Uh, he didn't even complete a pass longer than like 10 or 15 yards or something like that. And people were saying, oh, he really struggled. He's really got some work. And now everybody has changed their tune. But what standards are we holding Jordan Love to? And I I, kind of asked that of of a guy over at at TMJ in Milwaukee today because he, he brought up the point. It's like, okay, Jordan Love is struggling, but is he struggling like a normal second year quarterback that didn't see a snap in the regular season and wasn't even active for any of the games is he struggling like that or is he struggling because we're holding him to the standard of a NFL MVP that's no longer there that's used to doing all this stuff right like what 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 are what are we looking at here you know what I'm saying yeah I mean as far as the reports out of camp for for him, and and we'll even get to it with the Bears. Like I don't care about any of it because it doesn't mean anything. Like if he sucks in the first two preseason games, okay, now I'm now I'm I'm more interested. But as far as this stuff goes, like I I look at Jordan Love like a redshirt freshman, basically. I mean, he like he said all the things that he went through last year, and you got to remember, like they didn't nothing was normal last year. They didn't have normal rookie camp and training camp and right. all the things and they were they were um you know meeting remotely for their for their meetings during the week and like nothing nothing productive happened for him last year other than he was able to study a playbook and get familiar with his teammates that's really it yeah so I, again you got to talk about standards what are your expectations and i still think that let's just play the scenario out there. Rodgers doesn't come back. The most experienced guy on your roster that has had some, had some success with your offensive coordinator is, is Blake Borough. I'm not saying that's a good option, but I still think it's a better option than throwing Jordan Love out there. I'm, I'm not saying you're going to you know finish 500, you're going to make the playoffs, but if you're wanting to be more competitive, I think that's really the better option rather than just trotting this guy out there and watch him to get murdered unless the guy can actually play, which right now 
all indications are that he is not an NFL starting quarterback in his second year. Yeah, and, you know, you could do something similar to what the Bears are allegedly going to do. Start Bortles for the first couple of games because you're probably, if Rodgers isn't on your team, you're not a contender. Um, so you're probably not going to be very good right. this year anyway. So, yeah, why why throw uh, love to the Wolves to get either hurt or to have his confidence just in the toilet? Um, that doesn't really make a lot mm-hmm. of sense. No. Do you feel, do you kind of feel, I mean, like I feel bad for, 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 for LeFleur. Hell yeah. He comes in, he blows, blows the doors off of the division with his offense. He gets to the NFC championship game for, for a couple of, of years. And now all of a sudden the management says, yeah, by the way, we're taking away your MVP quarterback because we, we really like this kid. And now his general manager, and I would love to know the communication and the emails and the texts and all that stuff going back and forth for, for Lafleur and, 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 and Gudekin. Cause if I'm him, I'm marching into his office and I'm like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Right. What is going on? You know, you hired me to go do this and now you're tying both hands behind my back after, after all the success that we've had. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, you you hired me to be Aaron Rodgers' coach. You, you know, when when I was interviewing for the job, you didn't tell me, well, we're going to have Rodgers for two, maybe three years, and then we're going to move on to this other guy. Because if I'm Lafleur, right. I'm thinking like, I don't want to be the coach of the Packers without Aaron Rodgers, because they're not going to be any good, and I'm probably going to be there for two years and get fired because we're not going to be any good. You know, right? Unless it's three years down the road and Rogers depreciates, right? Right. But yeah, I, I feel I feel bad for for Lafleur. I you know, I mean, it's just people can say, "Oh, the Packers, you know, they could go eight, they they could be competitive." No, man, we've seen these guys when no. Rogers has been hurt. It's bad. It's bad. I, I was, mean, that one I year was, they they snuck into was, the playoffs, was, but. That was a fluke. Right. I was umpiring on Tuesday, and one of the guys said, well, at this time last year, you picked the Vikings for the division, so who are you picking this year? I'm like, you can't really make that no. call until you know who's going to be under center. And and then he said, well, what about Chicago? You don't really know who's going to be under center down there either. And I said, that doesn't really matter in, in, in Chicago. But uh, I'm I am really curious more so than whether Love can play I'm really curious whether Justin Fields can play and how well he does down there. I mean, are you, I mean, what, I haven't read anything about the Bears because I've been busy, you know, being entertained or put to sleep by all this Rodgers nonsense. What are the early returns down there from Hallis Hall? Well, they're, of course, they're very, very rosy. I mean, it's, it's all rainbows and butterflies right now. Which, you know, that's what happens when you draft a quarterback in the, in the top ten. I mean, it was the same thing with Trubisky. He, oh, he works so hard. He's so humble. You know, he's got a great arm. The guys are rallying around him. You know, Nagy was quoted today saying that Fields has the rip-your-heart-out mentality. Cole Komet was quoted talking about how great, how great he is. That's nice. That's nice. Um, but, you know, again... <laughs> You know, wake wake me up when in the first preseason game when he goes in after the first series or two, and uh, let's see how he does. And I don't care about all this stuff that doesn't involve an actual game. 
you know i just i just don't i mean i think that there should be some genuine excitement in the organization and in the fan base because you got a kid who you know like we talked about many times uh, uh, was arguably the first pick in the draft going into the college football season last year so you know if you'd have told me i don't know what last august that the bears were going to get fields i would have said that's cool i'm i'm with that um but at the end of the day i don't care about any of this this is just this is coach speak stuff you know um it just wake me up when there's games are you fine with the um the scenario now that it's who is the who is the veteran quarterback that they started for a couple of games until it became apparent that Trubisky needed to play? I'm I'm blanking on that. Mike Glennon. Um, but yeah, are you fine now with this similar thing? Now that they say that Andy Dalton is the starter, and do you think it's going to play out like okay, if Dalton sucks? The, the the chants are going to get too loud that you're you're going to have to put fields in like this seems to me like we're kind of repeating ourselves well with this situation just with with different personnel I I kind of look at remember when um remember when Seattle signed Matt Flynn to that big deal and then they drafted Wilson yeah yep I I hope that the Bears as an organization approach the preseason the same way that Pete Carroll and the Seahawks did that year. If if Fields beats Dalton out in the preseason, start him week one. But don't start him week one just because you picked him in the top ten. You know what I'm saying? Like, if he beats out Dalton, great. But if Dalton is at this point, you know, forget you know, oh, we're you know we're trying to win, we're trying to make the playoffs and blah 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 blah. Again, you're not a contender if with either of these guys right now today, from what we know. Um, so if 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 it's Dalton to start the year, I'm fine with that. But if it's clear in the preseason, like holy shit, this Fields dude is, whoa, they got something here. Then I think you got to play him. Because the way you know the way these contracts work now, if he's good right away, this gives you a, a four or five year window to really go for it, you know. But it's but it's at the end of the day, it's the same thing as we just talked about with Love. If he's not ready, you can't throw him out there and let him get his ass kicked and throw pick sixes and get beat, you know, forty to ten. I mean, that doesn't do anything for any any good for him. I'm just wondering whether, because there will be a lot of pressure and expectation, whether there's something in camp with Dalton and now with Foles, a really high-paid third-string quarterback, um, whether or not anybody's going to believe the coach or the general manager that Fields actually outplayed Dalton in camp and has earned the number one rather than just uh, saying, you know, assuming that, well, he would, they, they traded up to get him, so they're going to play him because everybody's excited to see him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know that, that I'm going to be- believe those guys that say, really? He beat out a veteran as a rookie to go do – and, I, again, that's not an indictment on Dalton's talent. It just doesn't seem like 
given this scenario that it doesn't seem like that is necessarily that feasible, I guess. Well, and look, what, what is it, June 9th? I mean, to, to name anybody right. right now a starter at anything other than, like, you know, Rodgers and Mahomes and Brady, like, is it's kind of silly because Andy Dalton hasn't exactly been an Iron Man throughout his football career, nor has Nick <laughs> Foles. Yeah. So these guys could very, very easily get hurt in camp, in a preseason game, uh, you know, third play of the first week of the regular season. Like, we don't know. So there might be a situation where he has to play, ready or not. But um, I just hope they're smart about it. Everything that I've heard from Nagy and even a little bit from Pace, you know, it sounds like this is not necessarily a make-or-break year for those two guys. So hopefully they're, they allow themselves to have a little patience with this kid and, and try to let him develop a little bit. The other big story that happened in the last 48 hours is that Julio Jones was finally traded. He's going to the Titans. I know a lot of Packers fans were wanting to, them to pick him up, and they didn't want to trade a high draft pick. They didn't want to uh, you know, affect the cap space and all that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you brought up the, the, the term Iron Man. Dude's been hurt a lot lately, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that he can be a giant game changer especially when you don't know who's going to be throwing him the ball in Green Bay. But I think a second round and a fourth round is probably a pretty reasonable package considering um, Atlanta also threw in a sixth rounder to mm-hmm. go take him. So I, I'm, I'm not sure that that was a deal that a lot of teams would have turned away. I, 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 it's hard for me to believe that, that, was, um, that, that there wasn't anything better on the table than that, but at the same time, I'm not sure I would have given up more than they did. Well, and it, I'm I'm sure the money was a was a factor as well. I mean, you got to take on a pretty big deal right. there with a with a 32, 33 year old wide receiver who, you know, Julio Jones is he's a Hall of Famer. He's he's a great player, but is we've seen his best days, um, you know, and and right. a lot of the people talking about oh, is this you know does this make the Titans the the you know, the biggest uh, threat to the Chiefs, and I'm just like, I don't know. Did you watch the Titans last year? Does Julio Jones play defense? I don't think so because <laughs> that defense was dog shit. Well, they, they lost two of their top pass catchers in free agency, and now you've, you, you've replaced them with this guy. Right. So so what? I, you, I don't know that I'm you're sure they're, that they're much better. The, right. You're probably still down a little bit after completing that. And you're out a couple of draft picks. so. Well, and, you know, Derrick Henry, who's the best back in football, I mean, the guy carries the ball 700 times a year. Like, <laughs> at what point are the wheels going to start breaking down on that dude? Because, you know, that's what, you don't usually see tall running backs because they get hit low so often. I mean, you know, you, you he starts, you know, the, the tread starts showing on his tires a little bit, and all of a sudden that's, a, that's not that great of a team. So we'll see. Right. All right, uh, you got anything else in the NFL? Or should no, we, some hoop? we got a solid half hour out of that, so pretty pretty good considering that was good. other than ro- complaining about our quarterbacks, there's not a lot to talk about. <laughs> I texted you about the game one loss for the Bucks, and you weren't that concerned. Now, if you had to reevaluate after game two, has that level been raised? Oh, I mean, this, this series is over. Um, 
I the wow. Bucks. I think the Bucks might win one of the next two. Um, but if they didn't and got swept, I would not be surprised. Um, this wow. team, the, the the Bucks, they got some problems. They got some problems. Um, you know, Harden goes out in game one in the first 45 seconds, and I'm sitting there going, oh, I, I, I like this now. I, I like this. And then the Bucks proceed to let Blake Griffin kick their ass in game yeah. one, and they blow an opportunity to steal a road game with one of the five best players in NBA playing 40 seconds. That was that was a killer. Um, you know, they, they, they played terrible. Well, they didn't play very well. They shot awful. And, you know, yeah, after game one, and, you know, God, I wasn't the only one. All the national people, too, are like the Bucks. they – this was the least amount of threes they'd made in a game in like three years. Um, it, it was just it, it was just kind of one of those fluky games where nobody could make anything. So you think they'd come out in game two fired up and ready to go, and they just come out and they have no energy, and Brooklyn just blows them off the floor, and that that's really difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around that they came out so flat with really no adjustments that I saw between games one and two. And it just, it, it snowballed on the bucks so fast. And, uh, you know, I think if you're down 20 points in a playoff game, that's kind of ridiculous. If you're down 30 points, that's really bad. They were down 49 points in that game at one point, 49 points. Yeah. That's embarrassing. Everybody in that organization should have been embarrassed after that. It's weird to me about how the tone can be set or not set in different ways. Like you mentioned Harden going out in the first, you know, 45 seconds. And you're like, wow, the Bucks should jump all over this. And if you're Brooklyn, you're like, man, that's one of our big horses that's down. This sucks. How are we going to be able to do this? And it didn't seem to cost them. It more or less energized them. But yet the Bucks get a couple of fouls called on them early in game two. And then they completely go in the tank right after that. It, it, it was just very weird how some, some early series of events and how those affected the teams so adversely. Well, I think from the, for the Nets, they had played so much of the last two-thirds of the season without Harden because he had been out with a hamstring, it didn't really affect them. Mm-hmm. And I think from the Bucks' perspective, I was talking to my dad about it, and I said, you know, the Bucks hadn't played in a week, so they spend yeah. six days preparing for this Nets team with Harden back, and then a minute into the game he goes out, it totally, I mean, your your game plan is scrapped. So everything that you've been preparing for going into that game, you basically have to, on the fly, adjust everything that you're doing. And look, in the Budenholzer era, that has been the biggest criticism of him, is that he does not make good in-game adjustments. And, you know, the Bucks, you know, that this, this game won, it reminded me a lot of the game three up in Toronto two years ago, when they lost in overtime, you win that game, you go to the finals. 
period. You're up 3 nothing. the series is over. But they lose that game, then they lose the next game, and it just kind of kept going. Um, you know, I, I, I just, it's, it's, it's hard to have any confidence that they can figure this out because their prior history the last couple of years has shown when you punch the Bucks in the mouth, they recoil. They, you know, it's it's like, remember remember when we were kids, Mike Tyson would just go through all these tomato cans and just knock them out in a minute and a half in the first round, and everybody thought he was the greatest <laughs> boxer ever. But yeah. then all of a sudden he faces Buster Douglas, and the dude punches him in the face a few times, and he goes down and doesn't want to fight anymore. I mean, that's kind of how the Bucks have been the last couple years. And as much as I love Giannis, like, I don't see that fire in him when when things are going badly you know he doesn't like have another gear he can get to you know i mean in a lot of ways you love his consistency not only as a player but as as a person where and he talks about it a lot i don't get too high i don't get too low but it's like you have to understand the opportunity that you have and you got to be looking around going dude we can steal this game and take command of this series right now because if a guy goes out with a hamstring injury, he's not playing the next game. It's the same thing like what happened with Anthony Davis in the Lakers series when he pulled his groin and he sat out a game and then he tried to play game six. It's like, dude, you can't you can't pull a groin and get better in four days. That's just that's not how it works. And the same thing with a hamstring. Like Harden, they've already announced, is not playing tomorrow in game three. I don't think he's going to play the rest of the series. Why? If you're Brooklyn, why would you play him unless – you got to a game six or seven, and you needed to play him. But, shit, I'd rest him the whole series if I were them. But, you know, right. it, it's tough. How, it's tough. How much, yeah, go ahead. How much has DiVincenzo, in, in his absence, and just like the like the collective bench not offering much, has that, has, has that made a difference? Because that, that seems to have compounded – the inability of Giannis and Middleton and Holiday to do anything, and when you're not getting, when you don't have one of your guys already, and then the guys coming off the bench don't offer anything, it seems like it's been a, like a collective failure the last two games. It's been a killer. And when he got hurt in Game Four against Miami, and the next day they said he was done for the year, I knew at that point the Bucks' chances of winning the East were slim to none. And it's not because He's this great player. It's more about what he does for them. He's another guy who can put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. He's another guy who can help space the floor for Giannis. You have to guard him. Defensively, he's your second best perimeter defender behind Holiday. And he's he's your he's your hustle energy guy as well. And all and then by not having him in here now, everybody on your bench has to move up a seat. So now all of a sudden, instead of Tucker coming off the bench and playing 20 minutes, now he's got to start. And when you start him, now when you start him, it screws up the spacing. So you don't really have to guard Tucker. He's just going to stand in the corner, and he might hit a three or two a game, but that's it. So now all of a sudden, Middleton can't get open. Like, he's played like shit, but to his defense, like, they're all over him. Like, he's got nowhere to go. Giannis can't make a shot outside of three feet. And Drew Holiday looks like he's crapped his pants in this series. So now all of a sudden, you know, Jeff Teague is playing 15 minutes in a playoff game. That's not 
that's not why you got him. Like you don't want to have to play Jeff Teague against the Brooklyn Nets in a playoff game. The bench has just been bad. I mean, Portis has given him nothing. Connaughton's given him nothing. Forbes has been okay. I mean, but nothing like he was in the prior series. And, uh, you know, when you're playing the Nets, they score 120 points a game. Bucks haven't cracked 100 yet, I don't think. in this. Well, yeah, they cracked 100 in the first game, but that was after they pulled all their starters out. So, I don't know. It's... It's not looking good, man. If they got swept, when you're, I wouldn't be when, shocked. When you're 34 points below your season average and you're the highest scoring team in the league, that's generally going to mean you're not going to win. And it's kind of inexplicable because the Nets all year long were a middle to lo- bottom half of the NBA as a defensive team. But, you know, they've come up with some strat. I mean, Giannis had a great first game. He had like 35 and 15. But in the second game, they adjusted to him. And, and you know, again, with Giannis, I love the guy, but one of his biggest problems, other than the fact that he can't shoot and he can't make free throws, is you can see him trying to process as the game is going on when he has the ball. Like, Everything he's doing is like it's it's too robotic. He doesn't have any smoothness to him in the half court at all. He's thinking too much as opposed to just kind of playing and reacting. And you can see it. I mean, that's why he's he's doing this stuff and he gets into the paint and he picks his dribble up and he doesn't know what to do. He's just dying to throw it out to somebody and it's like, well, you're throwing it out to a guy who's got somebody blanketed on him. Um yeah, it it really has made me think a lot about where this team is going, and and what you know what are they going to do now this off season when they get knocked out in this round? Um, I think I think we're seeing the we're we're definitely seeing the last days of Budenholzer. I think there's a very very really? very good chance we're seeing the last days of Chris Middleton as a buck. Um, I. You know, the narrative right now, of course, being down to nothing is that, you know, Giannis needs more help. And this is what we heard the last two years. Um, you know, they went out and got Holiday, which was supposed to be a big upgrade, but it hasn't showed up in this series at all. And, you know, Middleton's really the trade chip that they have. But, I mean, I last night I, I just kind of jotted down the top 25, 30 guys in the NBA and I mean, I had Middleton twenty ninth. So, who are you trading him for? That's better than him. That's going to be better with Giannis. There's, there's nobody out there. I, I, I just, I don't know exactly what they're going to do. You know, they got all these guys under long term deals. They're big three. They're making a ton of money. I don't even think you can trade Holiday until like next New Year's New Year's or something because he just signed. Obviously, you're not trading Giannis. Middleton's the guy, but I don't know. I, you're certainly not going to get a quote-unquote star for him. So I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure what, what happens. That's not a uh, a rosy picture that you just painted. No, and the East is getting better. I mean, <laughs> I mean Brooklyn... Ain't going nowhere. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden are going to be there for the next couple of years. 
You've got uh, Philadelphia. They're not going anywhere. Atlanta's got they're they're getting better and they're young. Boston's got one of the best players in the NBA in Tatum, and you know, I mean, they're the Celtics. They're going to try to do something. So in my, you know, and then you still got Miami. So it's it, it just you, you keep going back to two years ago in the Eastern Conference Finals, and it's you know, it's one of those things. Everybody's like, oh, well, it's okay. The Bucks will be back in the next couple of years. Giannis will get better. It's like, man, you don't know you're going to be back. It's tough to get to those positions, and you got to take advantage of them when you can, you know? I mean, you know that as a Packer fan. How many times have you gotten – it's great. It's really hard to get to the conference championship game, but shit, man, you gotta you got to find a way to win some of those and pull them out and get to the, get to the championship round and have a shot, right? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So, right. um, I, I don't know. As I mean, far as the rest of the – Well, I just, just – my question, I have two two big-picture NBA things just that I've kind of taken out of, of watching the playoffs here, and we'll, we'll get into the other series in a second. But okay. So Giannis is going to get knocked out again in, for the third year in a row before people think he should. There's a, there's a good chance that Philadelphia is going to lose to Atlanta, and if they don't, they're going to lose to the Nets in the next round, so Embiid will be out. Jokic just won the MVP for Denver. They're playing Phoenix. They got blown out in game one. They're probably going to lose this series, and even if they were to win it, they're not beating Utah or the Clippers in the next series, so he's going to be out. Anthony Davis couldn't win as the best guy on his team. He had to go join up with LeBron James to even advance in the playoffs. So the question is, can you win in the NBA anymore if your best guy on your team's a big man? I don't know. I don't think you can. I mean, evidence shows the last several years that your best guy has to be a perimeter player. And you look at some of these teams around the league. I mean, where's the big? Where's the great big? Even guys like Anthony Davis, like that dude, plays out on the perimeter as much as he plays in the post. So I don't know. It's 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 an interesting conundrum that the NBA is going to have to kind of reckon with because now for the third year in a row, you've got basically a center in Jokic and Giannis the last two, and Embiid was second this year in the MVP voting. The last three years, your best quote-unquote player in the league, your MVP has been a center. But then they get to the playoffs, and these guys can't make the finals. So, you know, I, I don't really know what to make of that. And then the other thing is, all the things that mattered when we were growing up as far as basketball goes, like you know, rebounding, um, transition defense, um, half-court defense, guarding your own guy, getting good quality looks around the basket, that shit don't even matter anymore. Like, if the, if the Nets win the title with this cobbled together team that played seven games as a full unit all season. Like what the hell, what's the point of the season? You know, like why in the world would anybody ever buy a regular season ticket package for these teams? Like for what? So I don't, I don't know. It just, it's some big picture stuff that I think this league's going to have to deal with if they, especially if they want to keep 
the lifer, older, diehard fans like me engaged in the league. You're always going to get the kids because kids love basketball because, you know, Duncan and guys shooting 10 feet behind the three-point line, that's cool. But, you know, the people with the money, the people that buy the season ticket packages, like, I don't know, is it is it, is it worth doing that anymore? It's It's an interesting question. Interesting. All right, let's uh, let's just go to the other series. All of the all of them are in the semifinals in each conference. Atlanta seen, and I guess I didn't know how good Atlanta was because I wasn't really really keeping a close eye on that. But Atlanta seems pretty feisty, um, and they they took Philly out in the first game and then lost the second game. Um, and 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 you think the Hawks are 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 likely going to win that series? I think they got a good chance. I think that's probably going to be a seven gamer. Um, you know, they got Trey Young, who's getting a, getting better every day. Um, they got Bogdan, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who would look fantastic in a Buck uniform right now. It's unfortunate that that <laughs> yeah, de- we, that debacle we went tried down. That. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're they're young, yeah. they're hungry. They don't have anything to lose. They play very free. Um, you can tell that they're they're just kind of having fun. Um, and Philly, you know, there's a lot of pressure on Philly. They're the one seed. So, um, I don't know. I think that's going to be a long series, though. Not shocking that the Suns are up on the Nuggets and the Jazz are up on the Clippers. Those are the two best teams left in the West, in your opinion? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think the Suns will beat Denver in, in probably five. I think the Jazz Clippers could be a six or a seven gamer. I mean, the Clippers got the star power with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but Utah's just got a better team. Um, and and I mean, playing in Utah is a bitch. It's just one of those places. It's <laughs> it's a bunch of crazy Mormons screaming at you. Um, it's just it playing it playing in Utah. It's in the elevation. It's it's a nightmare for teams. So. Yeah, I think those two teams are going to meet in the Western Conference Finals, and the winner's going to get to get their ass kicked by New by the Nets. <laughs> you mentioned Jokic winning the MVP. You are you good with that? Yeah, Would he the the clear cut front runner for you. Yeah, and I, I'm happy for him. It's a cool story. I, I I think you even talked about it on the radio this morning. He was a second round pick. He's the first second round pick ever. Uh, well, at least in really the modern era. I mean, they had a second rounder win it in the early '70s, but that was when they're only like. 12 teams, so a second-round pick was like the 13th guy. But, yeah, it's a cool story, man. I mean, he was just some fat kid from over in Eastern Europe. I mean, like, literally, they showed pictures of him as a kid. He's just this little fat kid that, I mean, if you had told people when he was 10 that he was going to win an NBA MVP, people would have laughed you out of the room. But, you know, it's 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 a similar thing with Giannis. You know, it's, it's a guy from kind of out of nowhere, that's really good, and he's on a smaller market team, and he's really kind of made them relevant. But, again, he unfortunately plays a position that's not really conducive to winning titles in this era. So, um, how Two questions. How tickled were you when LeBron got eliminated from the playoffs, and are you surprised that he found his way back into the national conversation by uh, announcing or uh, saying that he was going to change numbers for next year? Um, I thought it was hysterical that they got beat by the Suns, and I thought it was great the way they got beat. I mean, they were down like 25 points in the first quarter, which was just, I mean, LeBron was, he he quit. I mean, he at that point, he just wanted no part of it. 
Um, so I thought that was great. The number change is hysterical as well because it's just typical LeBron. It's so in line with his MO. Um, it, I think they're claiming it has something to do with the new Space Jam movie. I think he might wear number six in that. I don't think they, I don't, uh, something with, you know, because Jordan was 23, they wanted LeBron to wear a different number maybe. I'm not sure. But, I mean, this dude, is it's just, it's so funny. Like, he wants to be Michael Jordan and Kobe so bad. I mean, Michael Jordan had two numbers. Kobe had two numbers. LeBron now has, yeah, I mean, he was six in Miami, and then he changed back to 23. But it's like now he's going to have two different numbers on the Lakers. It's like, what do you want? You want him to retire two numbers for you like they did for Kobe? Like, what? Like what, I mean, just a complete and total narcissist. It's it's unbelievable. All right, you got do you got anything else on the on on, on the league before we I, switch to baseball? I did get to go to a, a game two against Miami the night that. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. I was gonna. I, I I forgot to ask you how how was that experience? Yeah, it was it was great, man. It was only fifty percent capacity for that game, so. It was cool. You got to spread out a little bit, and then you know that that was the game where they made a hundred threes in the first half, and Forbes was just shooting them with his feet, and they were going in. I mean, it, it, the place was going bananas, <laughs> and it was only half full. I mean, if that place had been full, they might have blown the roof off that that stadium. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was the first Buck game I had been to in like eighteen months, so it was it was really nice to get back, and it was fun to actually see him. Uh, See them play probably their best game of the season. Bucks are uh, are back there tomorrow on Thursday and uh, for the next couple at the Fiserv. So Thursday, Sunday, that, right? Uh, is that, that will help? Game four Sunday is that right? Is it? I think Sunday or is it Saturday? I, I can't. I, I, can't I can't remember, remember which which one it is. No. All right, you're not going to either of those. Uh, I'm I'm not going to game three for sure. If they were to win game three, I would consider going to game four, but. Those tickets get a little pricey as they get deeper in, and you yeah, know, I'm not sure. I want. I'm not sure. I want to see them go end their season in a sweep on uh, this weekend. <laughs> sure, no, I I understand that. All right, let's uh, let's switch to baseball. And how about your first in the division, Milwaukee Brewers, who have won five games in a row and have been uh, really. I, I mean. With all the injuries and all the substitutions that they've had in the field, the pitching has held them up. But I, I honestly had to do a double take after they they won some games in a row, and then they said, "Yeah, this is the highest Milwaukee has been over 500, and they're in first in the division." And I just kind of went, "What?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of snuck up on me. Too. I've been so immersed in basketball the last couple of weeks; it kind of snuck up on me too. I've only been you know, catching an inning here or there of the Brewer game. But, yeah, I mean, eight games over. They're tied with the Cubs right now, and the Cubs are hot as hell, too. Um, you know, the yeah. I don't know. I can't remember if we talked about it, but they, they the Brewers made the trade. They traded a, a couple of relievers, Fire Eisen and somebody else, I can't mm-hmm. remember, for uh, shortstop Willie Adamas, which was really interesting with the whole Urias thing. But um, they've won 13 of 16 since that trade, and he's really played well. He's a, he's an excellent defensive shortstop, and he can hit a little bit. So, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, 
the reason why the Brewers are in first and they've gone on this little hot streak, they they actually are hitting the ball. Amazing how that works. It's just very odd how we were talking about heading into the season when nothing had been done with either of the corner infield spots. And then they got Shaw back and they, you know, were moving here at the first and they, and, and they hung on to Vogel back and they're like, okay, well, we've got, you know, Colton Wong at second and we've got Urias at short. We're good. And then Wong gets hurt. Urias struggles. They trade for Adamas. Hira gets sent down to AAA. Now he's on the second time sent down because he can't hit the broadside of a barn with the bat. And it's, it's, it, it's really weird how the focus has turned from those corner spots. And now the middle infield seems to be the most unstable part because guys can't stay healthy and they can't perform. Um, but I, I guess so far it really hasn't mattered who's been playing where for who because so long as whoever's in there keeps hitting the ball, you got Tyrone Taylor that's jacking bombs. Daniel Robertson went deep the other day. I mean, these guys that they're putting in, and we kind of saw that in the first couple of weeks of the season when some guys got hurt and had to be subbed in. It's like we, you just wonder how long this can keep working, the, the in and out, injured list, on, off again, whatever, down to the minors, being called up. I mean, this this heavy rotation that that council seems to lean on, whether it's by choice or by necessity, um, it, it's been working at least for the last couple of weeks. It has, you know, and, and it's been weird, right? I mean, you're some of those bench guys you named have come in and, and literally won some games for these guys. And meanwhile, you've still got some of your regulars that are the guys you've been counting on that are still not playing very well. You know, obviously you mentioned Hira. He's down in the minors again. Um, Shaw has, you know, he's is at, he's hovering around 200. Um, and, you know, and then before we even went on the air tonight, it looked like he had a very, very serious shoulder injury. So I will not be shocked if we don't see him the rest of the season, or at least for a very long time. Um, and Wong, yeah, Wong's been hurt. Kane's hurt. Yelich was hurt for a while. He's finally kind of starting to show some signs of, getting back into the swing of things. Uh, but, yeah, it's kind of been the bench guys. Avi Garcia's had a, had a really, really good month of May. Um, he's kind of putting mm-hmm. himself in position to maybe make a run at an all-star berth. You know, Jackie Bradley still can't do anything with the bat. He's been good in the outfield, but he can't hit. So, <laughs> I mean, thank God that their, their, their front three starters, Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, have been excellent. All three of those guys have over 90 strikeouts right now, and I think I think Peralta has the highest ERA, and it's like 2-2. Yeah. So, um, you know, and even, even Hauser, as your fourth guy, has been good. You know, he's had some really, really impressive outings. He had a good one last night. Um, you know, Brett Anderson sucks, but, you know, show me a team in baseball whose fifth starter is, is good. Most of them, <laughs> you know, most of them are, you know, Guys that are bringing out of the out of the minors or something, or it's it's a scrap heap guy that you're trying to get a reclamation project out of. So, I'm not I'm not going to get too fired up about the human blister because I think at the end of the day, um, when you get down to uh, September and into the playoffs, he's he's not really going to be part of part of what you're doing anyway. So, and then of no, course, and, 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 again, and of course at the back end, you've got Williams and Hader. So, right, and, and Williams has been 
pretty good. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been as dominant as he was last year, but Hader has, I think he's what, like he's, he, he's 100% on his saves, I believe. He's either 14, 15, 16, um, whatever he's at, he's, he's been absolutely dialed in. Um, but, yeah, once you get to those guys, um, it doesn't seem like other teams have too much of a prayer. No, I mean Hader is. I mean he he he's he's the modern day Billy Healthy. Wagner, dude. He he's he throws yep. that that shit from the left side that you just you can't pick it up, and before you know it, it's past you. Whew, man, it's tough. Nice to have him. I haven't I haven't dug in too much to this whole foreign substance on baseball. Do you, I, I haven't had a whole lot of time to read or watch anything about it. Um, is this, is Garrett Cole, one of the guys that's at the forefront of this? Yeah, he, he made a comment about basically everybody's putting something on the ball right now and, and MLB's not checking for it. Um, I had read an article, I don't know, a week or two ago talking about this and whatever the substance that they're putting on there, it's, it's, it's causing the ball to break significantly. Um, you know, every, the, one of the big things now in baseball they talk about is spin rate. Um, yeah, this whatever substance this is is increasing spin rate to the point where like some guys that have been um, hit by a pitch or it's or you know more or less just kind of grazed their jersey, the baseball has actually cut the jersey because it's spinning so fast, the laces are going, the laces are spinning so fast, Jesus. it's actually cut a jersey open. Think about that. So, like, you know, you take one of those in the freaking kneecap, I mean, that's that's probably ripping skin off, you know? So, right. you know, it's one of those things, and I always say it about baseball, baseball is a game of cheaters, it always has been. Yeah. It always will be. There's always going to be cheating in baseball, whether it's steroids, doctoring the ball, scuffing the ball, stealing signs, whatever. It is part of the game, but you know, I think that with the with the lack of action in the game anymore, which we, you and I have talked about at length, with the overabundance of waiting for the three run homer. It is something I think Major League Baseball has to take a, a look at because if the pitchers are able to do that, and I'm a hitter, well, I have to counter this now. So what am I going to do as a hitter? You know, what 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 way to cheat am I going to find? So I guess they came out today and announced that they're going to start cracking down and and asking the umpires to enforce this rule. I mean, I'll give you a little little story. My parents were at the game on Sunday. And uh, there was a foul ball hit okay. up 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 to them. They were sitting in the club level right behind the plate, and a foul ball came to them, and it almost murdered my mom. Thank God my dad had a quick hand, and my dad got his hand out there, and uh, he didn't catch it, but he knocked it down, and the guy next to them got the ball. But during the game, the guy says to my dad, he goes, here, check this ball out, and he gave it to my dad, and my dad's like, you could feel on the ball that there was something on there. Like it was like a kind of like sticky or tacky, and he said as they were watching the game, whoever was pitching for Arizona, every time the umpire threw him a new ball, he always would take his hand out of his glove and rub the ball up, 
Okay, well, that leads you to believe that he might have something in the palm of his glove, right? I mean, I know pitchers like right. to do a little something yep. with the rosin, but, I mean, I don't know. It's I don't really – I mean, I care in a way, but I don't care that much, I guess, because I guess if, if they're allowing every pitcher to do it, it's not, I guess, unfair. But if I was a hitter, I would be pissed off. I was going to ask you about – spin rate when you brought that up if you watch now a game on MLB Network or ESPN when there's a hit or a home run or something having to do with you know a pitcher they are flashing all these extra sabermetric stuff up there and I'm not necessarily an old school guy but I'm also not ready to pounce on every bit of extra information that they're providing you pay attention to a lot of that stuff. Do you geek out over that, or is that something trying to do to get, you know, a younger generation of fan in? Like, what, what, what are we trying to promote by providing all this information now that didn't really matter a few years ago? That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know who that is for. It's yeah. I certainly don't care. I mean, it it, it reminds me of the the line in major league when the dude hits a home run and he's like oh it's too high he's like who gives a shit it's gone what difference does it make it's a homer i don't really care if it's 120 miles an hour off his bat or 108 off his bat who gives a shit he got a hit i don't care like what you know what does that what does that do for me i don't i don't care but i was just i was just curious about do you do you you don't that because i know that no, as far as like exit velocity off the bat, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I was used to some of that stuff when you watch tennis and, you know, you somebody that blasts an ace right by somebody and give you the miles per hour. So I, I was always kind of curious about who the guys are that can absolutely hammer the ball. Sure. But I don't know where now the benchmarks are, like like, like where the bar is set and who are the guys in Major League Baseball that hit the ball the hardest. There's no real, um, you know, graph or, you know, somebody that says, you know, this person has the third highest exit velocity in baseball. This year. You don't know who those guys are because there's so many more players and there's so many more home runs that it's hard to keep track of this stuff. So you just kind of get it flashed up there and you're like, okay, cool. And then you go on to the next batter. Yeah. And, and if you hit it really hard, does that matter like do, do the guys that hit it harder are they the better player or like does Daniel Vogelbach hit it harder than Yelich and if he does who so <laughs> like what 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 does that mean I, I don't I don't know what that's supposed to tell me I, it's just it's just right. another one of those it's another one of those new age stats that you know some nerd created on his on his fantasy baseball team or something and and now it's part of the game I I just I don't know who that stuff is for. It's not for anybody really over the age of 40. And frankly, that's 90% of your audience if you're a baseball fan. So, Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I figured I'd bring that up. All right, um, one last thing to touch on. We're already over an hour. Um, we kind of talked about this when, uh, when Barry Alvarez made the announcement that he was going to hang it up. Um, you and I both kind of mentioned that since Chris McIntosh, former lineman of his, had been a deputy athletic director for a few years now that, you know, they use the word groomed, which Alvarez said he didn't really agree with that word and, and neither did McIntosh. And I guess there were 
three finalists. I don't know who the woman down at Ball State was and how she was connected to the university. I think her name was like Beth Getz or something like that. And then Sean Frazier, a former guy that, that, that was affiliated with the university. He was the guy, but those were the guys. And apparently applications for this were down. They, they didn't get as many names as, as they were thinking, but it sounded like far and away to, for, you know, one thing about Wisconsin over the last, you know, two athletic directors, they've wanted guys who have done it the Wisconsin way. And it seems like the next guy that'll continue that tradition uh, hands down was Chris McIntosh. Yeah, and I, I work with a, a guy that is, uh, he lives in Madison. He's pretty plugged into the program. And he was telling me that everything he was hearing was that the woman from Ball State was the leading candidate. I think she was actually at Minnesota prior to this um, as an assistant AD up there, and then I think she got promoted down at Ball State. That's why she left. But, you know, it was one of those, he basically said that she was the front runner for quote-unquote political reasons. I think she's non-white and a woman, so that kind of, you know, that plays right now. But McIntosh ending up with the job tells me the sweater vests probably got involved. And like you say, they want one of their own. They want a guy that, um, you know, that, that, that bleeds badger red, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, Chris McIntosh played there, and then he came back to work there. I mean, it don't get more, you know, loyal or homegrown than that. And, you know, that I think that at the end of the day, I think that plays well with Madison. And uh, I think it's... You know, on its face, it seems to be the right decision. Well, time will tell. I'm not sure how much an athletic director really matters that much anymore, um, with the exception of hiring and firing a coach. But um, I think at the two sports in Madison that people care the most about, football and basketball, I just don't see Paul Chris or Greg Gard going anywhere anytime soon anyway. So, Well, and it's not shocking that the new guy has been affiliated with the football program because that's your cash cow. Yep. That's the sport that really funds your entire athletic department. So if you got a guy who knows the ins and outs of the football program and has been through there and has been talking to Alvarez, then you can. it's assumed that you can kind of manage the other sports uh, just so long as you're pulling in a boatload of money. Uh, at Camp Randall through through football. Well, and you know that by hiring his, uh, Alvarez's protege, we will continue to not have baseball in Madison. I was wondering about that just because McIntosh came out and he said, I have a different personality. I'm going to be doing some things a little different, but I wonder if one of those things that Barry hammered home to him was, you better not have fucking baseball on this campus because it'll just be something else to take away from football. I, I was wondering that right away. Well, I guess time will tell, but I would be surprised. I would be very surprised. Yeah. Well, um, right. I don't know. You well, got anything else? No, not really. That's that, that's about it. I got to I gotta get plugged into a, a TV show with my wife. She's home from the uh, salon, so we're going to we're gonna start settling down and, and turn it in. I got a game to call. I'm waiting on a text message from the Craig, athletic director, about the baseball uh, uh, sectional seating and stuff like that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start to wind it down and and, and get ready and and playoffs next week. So we'll we'll try and convene on on Wednesday. 
next week. The regional uh, semifinals are on Tuesday, and then the regional finals are on Wednesday, and then uh, sectionals the following week. Division One state baseball is uh, the, for the championship isn't until July first. Wow, wow, that's really late. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> yeah, huh. and it, it's hard for me to believe that some of these athletes are going to stay plugged in for that long. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, well that will uh, that will do it for this edition. It was good to catch up with you, my man, and I know we got a lot, uh, a lot of stuff that was, that we've had to catch up on. So um, we'll, we'll we'll try and figure out stuff down the road. So thank you for listening and subscribing and downloading. And as always, we please ask that you please tell your friends. Until then, I'm Josh. I'm Dan, and we will talk to you next time. Come on, Bucks, get me one win. Let's go. Ha, ha, ha.